You're listening to Sermon Audio from Redeemer Church, where we are disciples of Jesus in life together, making disciples. To check out our other media, or to find out more information about our church, visit RedeemerSGF.com. Thank you for kind of bearing with us these last couple days as we've been trying to figure out what to do next. Um, I'll just go ahead and say on the front end, um, just be... Uh, be keeping an eye out for communication. We'll, we'll communicate on Facebook, the Redeemer Facebook page, and also on Realm just for what's going to happen moving forward. Um, we know the, the virus has hit Springfield, but it's not as uh, severe as some other parts of the country, so we're just trying to be prepared for uh, when it does start to hit a little bit more. But thank you for being here this morning. Um, and so I wanted to do this um, it's obviously the thing that is happening now. I wanted to take some time just on the front end of this, uh, this time to address the situation and kind of our response as a church. Uh, I know this, this is really fresh and there's not a whole lot of things that um, we can do at the moment, but I, I just want to address what we could do. And so first is this, um, let us be wise in our speech. As we, as we deal with this, I know there's a lot of, uh, I'm not saying don't joke and don't have fun and don't laugh, um, but there is, a lot of, there is a lot of joking and laughter and sarcasm that's floating around out there, and that's okay to do, but let's make sure that we as the church um, are, be, are heard as people who are um, spreading salt and light in our speech, that it's seasoned with grace. Because the reality is we do have people among us and even loved ones uh, who, if they, if they do contract the virus, it will be a dangerous and deadly situation for them. And when it hits home, then it doesn't become so laughable in that moment. So let's make sure our speech is wise. Um, let's also be neighborly. Let's find out who is in need, who needs help on our block. And I'm saying to do that uh, not uh, to do that wisely and to do it carefully. I think there's a lot of instruction out there uh, online through the, was it the CDC that tells us how to kind of approach those things. But I'll just say to you, we need to be neighborly. Find out who is on your block. Find out who's in need. If you go, man, I don't really know my block. Well, I'm going to be very direct in this. You have no more excuses to not know who your neighbors are. You need to find out who they are today. Don't pray about it. Don't think about it. Just do it. You need to know who your neighbors are because there are those on your street who will be uh, impacted by this and need help. And so with that, here's my suggestion. When you reach out for help, try first to give them a call. If they don't, if you can't get a hold of them that way, try then on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, whatever it is. If that doesn't work, then maybe find a mutual friend who might have their contact information. This is the beauty of Facebook, right? We all know who, we have mutual friends. If that doesn't work, then just go knock on the door, move back to the sidewalk, and talk from the sidewalk if you have to, okay? But we need to be neighborly and reach out to people. People are going to be in need. Um, some ways that you could, you could help, you know, buy groceries if you need to do a grocery run. I have a neighbor who has a has an awful immune system, if this neighbor gets out and catches this virus, it's most likely going to cause them their life. So this is, this is somebody in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, how can we be helpful to them without also being a part of the problem? So I understand it's kind of a gray area, but be thinking, be praying, be trying to figure out what you can do. Some other suggestions have been donate blood. Maybe in your neighborhood, create a phone list. Create a contact list that you can share with your people. Be on kind of the front end of being a help on your block. Don't be the one who's kind of reacting too late to everything. Be on the front end of just trying to help create a movement of help uh, across the place. If there's something that you need help with, with your neighbors, tell your community group leaders to see if the help can be supplied at a community group level. And if not there, then your, your CG leaders will contact Pastor Nathan and Pastor Nathan will then uh, discuss with us, the pastors, as far as how can we help you take care of your, your neighbors where you're at. The third thing I would say is do not hoard. 
Don't just grab everything for yourself. Now, granted, I do have something that's worth as much as gold in my pocket. It's called toilet paper, and that's just for this morning. But don't hoard. Don't run off to the bathroom and grab a roll of toilet paper and sneak it home. If you need one, just ask. If you, if you are buying things in bulk, do it, but do it with the stewardship of God in mind. Let us be neighborly in how we provide for one another. Let's care for our family. Let's care for our neighbors. Let's care for our church. Let's not be the church that's like, man, they bought out all the toilet paper and they bought out all the food and, I mean, I can't stand them people. Let's not do that. We have a living hope in God. And last thing, don't lick your fingers before you turn pages. I'm just exampling these things for you. Wash your hands. Practice good hygiene. Okay? We need to just help keep this thing at a minimum, all right? So, and then, of course, pray for your community. Pray for your neighbors. Um, this is nothing new under the sun. Uh, diseases or viruses like this spreading about, nothing new under the sun. But we have an opportunity. We have a captive audience. The entire world is looking for help. The entire world is looking for hope. They're looking for answers. They're looking for, for life. And we have the opportunity to share with them that hope, and that life. So let's not waste our influence, not waste our speech, let's not waste our relationships and just kind of throw that under the bus. Let's actually capitalize on that and share our faith with our neighbors and with this community, all right? So that's all I have there. I'm sure more official things will be coming out in the weeks to come. But we are going to be in the book of Acts chapter 13. So if you would turn to Acts 13, and we're going to be in the first three verses, one through three, and then we're going to hit a few words in verse four. So Acts 13, one through three, we're continuing on. This is the very last in our series on growing. And for those of you who are new, we spent, this will be our seventh sermon here in a growing series, and growing in the sense of what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter four, that we are the church the body who is growing into the head, which is Christ. So like a baby, having a big old head, the baby's body eventually growing into its head. That's kind of the imagery here. And then not only do we grow into the head, into maturity, but we then grow in our action, in our response, in what it is we do as the church. And that's where we are today in growing in our sending. Growing in our Sending. Acts 13, 1 through 3 is kind of that staple passage in Scripture when we talk about what it means to be ascending church. Seven years ago, when we planted, we had big dreams for reaching Grant Beach neighborhood, for reaching Northwest Springfield. And by we, I mean, I especially had big dreams, and I know Pastor Nathan and even. Uh, the Stykos, the other family who came up with us, we had dreams of seeing the gospel spread forth. And so in that dreaming, and this is often the case of church planters like myself, we had this idea that we're going to come in, we're going to obey God, do what he wants us to do, and then all of a sudden the church is going to blow up, there's going to be a bunch of lost people just getting saved overnight. It's going to be like Acts chapter 2. We're not going to know what to do with ourselves because everybody's coming to saving faith. But then you actually plant a church, and yes, that does happen in some cases, but then you actually plant a church, and then you're like, okay, why isn't this happening the way that I thought? And so here's what we've realized over the years. First is this. Once we got here, what we realized here in the Grant Beach neighborhood, we have come onto uh, former crops, Back in the day, this Grant Beach neighborhood used to be thriving with the church, thriving with the gospel, thriving with missionaries, sending people all over the place to plant churches. But then somewhere over, over the decades, it began to grow weeds among the crops, if you will. Crops began to die and wither away, and it became just kind of uh, rocky soil and soil full of weeds all over the place. And so when we came in, it's not like we were starting something that had never happened here before. We realized we just had to take time to clean up the dirt a little bit to get it prepared and ready for planting crops. And so what we needed was not to come in with the the grand picture of just saving everybody instantly, but praying for laborers. We spent a season at a time just saying, God, 
send us people who will put their hand to the plow and never look back. The second thing is we ended up having to learn about the laborers. It's not just enough to have people come in and just start doing the work, but then you have to actually minister and shepherd and care for the people who are doing the work, right? We're not just a machine just pumping out results. And so the laborers came in, and so we began to hear your stories. We began to listen to you, began to understand you. And what we were realizing is that many of you wanted to do the work, but a lot of you were struggling to just understand the why behind what we were doing. Many of you came from other churches, other backgrounds, where you weren't really being fed. The word wasn't really being preached, and you didn't really know what it meant to go out and to do the work. So you wanted to do it, but you just didn't know necessarily how. You were kind of like a wounded or a lonely sheep looking for a shepherd, somebody who would feed them, somebody who would lead them to good water, who would show them the way. Some of you came from good, solid preaching churches, and you didn't necessarily want to go, but that church uh, recognized in you the need for you to go and help us plant, so they commissioned and sent you out. And so we slowed down. We took a breath. We, We quit trying to be the superheroes in the neighborhood, and then we just asked the Lord as pastors, how do we need to shepherd the flock that is among us? That's what we see in Scripture. Shepherd the flock that is among you. Okay, so what do we need to do so that they can command the um, Great Commission and go? And by slowing down and taking a deep breath, we saw the Lord at work. We saw the Lord work in you. And we've seen the fruit now of the labor, of the planting, of the watering, now coming about. God is causing the growth among our church, and you guys have become more and more of a sending church. We've gone from clearing the grounds and tilling the soil to planting and watering and now God causing growth. We've sent out families to help plant churches internationally and domestically. People to share the gospel with unreached people groups. We have established a solid advocacy team. That is a team that helps us prepare and care for folks who go out from among us. We, are now, uh, we now have trainings that will equip our advocacy team and our members through organizations like Perspectives and Senders University. We have grown tremendously over the last several years as Ascending Church. And as of this month, my wife and I have started a ministry called Mobilize with the efforts of Bobby and Carissa Howes. And we're doing that in order to help individuals and couples in our church really to explore what sending out looks like. 18 folks responded. 18 folks responded. These individuals range really in desire from leading initiatives and church planting to revitalizing and just being on mission here locally in in Northwest Springfield. And hopefully in the next six to nine months, what we will see is a team come together and be formed of a people who will train, equip, and send you out into the dark recesses of our community, really, ultimately, to push back darkness with the gospel of Jesus. So the Lord has grown us as active participants in the global mission of God. And now it's time for us, for our church body at large, collectively, not just a few of us, but all of us to come alongside one another and help each other to embrace the call to be sent out. And so that, that could vary from being sent out to the other side of the world to simply just going across your street. You are ready. You're ready. You're ready. The time is here. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. There's no reason to delay any longer or make excuses. And not only that, you are not alone. You're not alone. So the time is now. And the question is not, are you called? Are you commissioned? But the question is, where will you go? To whom will you go? And I want you to be aware of this. I understand that there is a cost to this. I understand there's a cost. I'm aware 
that we are calling you to be sheep among wolves. Even in this neighborhood, I understand we're calling you to be sheep among wolves. I understand there will be discomfort, there will be afflictions, there will be suffering involved with the going. I've taken this and I've shared it with our elders, and our elders are aware of this. So we sat down and we we asked the hard questions. Are we ready and willing to send people out knowing that their lives, that their blood may be on our hands as a church? Are we willing to face that criticism, that pain, that sort of publicity? Are we willing to send our people into harm's way knowing we cannot protect them, that we cannot stop the enemy from coming after them? And we all said, really with a slowness, a caution kind of spirit, and yet with confidence, yes, we are willing. We're willing. We are confident because we are confident in Christ. We are confident that there is a real, genuine joy found in the gospel of Jesus alone. We know that if we don't go, that the captives will not hear the good news and possibly be set free. We know that the glory of the Lord is so great that it is so grand, that it is so good that it cannot be contained to our small corner of the world or our lives. We must go. We have to go. We must tell the world the tremendous and glorious news of the gospel of Jesus. And as a church that is growing, as it's growing and it's sending, I want to share with you from Acts 13, what a sending church looks like. This is, not comprehend- this is not exhaustive, but this is based off of what we see here in 13, 1 through 3. A sending church is a church made up of sinners saved by grace. First. Secondly, a sending church is a church that worships and seeks the Lord. And third, a sending church is a church that obeys the call to go. So we're a sending church of sinners saved by grace, a church that worships and seeks the Lord, a church that obeys the call to go. And at this point in the book of Acts, 13 chapters in, let me summarize it in this way. We have seen Jesus now ascend to the Father, And as he went, he sent the Spirit to be a helper, and the Spirit has fallen upon the Jews. We see that spectacular conversion in Acts chapter 2. Stephen replaces Judas as one of the disciples, and he's the first martyr in Scripture. He was killed for his faith, and he was killed at the hands of Saul, who would later become an apostle. Jesus then saves Saul, as he was on the road to uh, Damascus in order, with the purpose of persecu- persecuting more Christians, Saul becomes influential then in the church, chosen by Jesus to suffer for his name's sake. Then the gospel at this point is really spreading like wildfire, and by chapter 10, the Gentiles hear the good news, and then the Spirit falls upon them. So now we have the gospel changing Not only Jews, but also Gentiles. And then the church then, structurally, organizationally, is slowly forming and coming together. And while it's doing so, it is experiencing heavy persecution. And so as a result, the persecuted church then finds some relief in several places. And one of those places is Antioch. And Antioch is where our story is located this morning. And so Ascending Church is a church of sinners saved by grace. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. Let me pray and then we'll dive into this. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your word to us. 
Thank you for Jesus, for the hope that we have in him. And so we ask now by the power of the Spirit that you help us understand your word and that you help us understand what it means to be ascending church and what it means to be faithful to your call to go. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. So ascending church is a church of sinners saved by grace, really kind of focusing here in on verse 1. Antioch, as I mentioned, was the location where the persecuted church was going, but then it became the hub for missions. When you hear the story of Paul and his missionary journeys, him going on three missionary journeys, it was, it was with the idea of every time he left Antioch and came back, that qualified as a missionary journey. And we see that three different times in the book of Acts. So the church at Antioch really was the powerhouse church for missions, for sending. And the church, keep in mind, had a minimal structure in place. The gospel was outpacing church structure and organization. The reason we see the church so kind of organic or free early on is because they didn't have the structure of elders and deacons and, and everything in place yet, but they were frantically trying and working to that end, but the gospel was going forth. But here we see prophets, we see teachers, and though it's not mentioned explicitly, but we have also apostles. Prophets here meaning not capital P prophet in the sense of like you would see a prophet in the Old Testament, but more of a, of a lowercase p prophet. The Word of God was scarcely printed in terms of the Old Testament. And in fact, in real time, the Word of God is forming. Paul hasn't written all these letters yet, but it's kind of happening as it goes. And so the Lord would use these gifted prophets within the church to speak and give instruction really to say, God is declaring these things to us. But it's important for us to understand that the words of the prophets never contradicted the teaching of the apostles, that is capital A apostles, and never contradicted the teaching of the Lord. So it was always put in check. And you have teachers. These are folks who would receive God's word. They would provide teaching for the people. I'm just trying to be simple here in these definitions. These teachers could also provide right understanding between the Old Testament and the forming of the New Testament. These were skilled folks teaching the Word. And then we have apostles here. You have Paul the Apostle, but then you have Barnabas, an apostle as well. But let me make some distinction here. We have capital A Apostle, which could be kind of seen like the capital P, prophet of the Old Testament, right? These capital A Apostles were commissioned and sent out directly by Jesus, These apostles were like the prophets. They had authority in the New Testament church. The apostolic ministry, the apostles ended when the the, the apostolic ministry ended when they died, excuse me. But then we do have lowercase a apostles. And that's where we have people like Barnabas, who's regarded as one of the apostles, but not in the sense of capital A apostle. These lowercase a apostles have the gifting of being sent out, starting new works, planting churches. This is kind of what we see modern day apostleship where people like myself who have the gift of church planting have the apostolic gift in them. And so we don't have much information about these folks that are mentioned here. There's a lot of speculation as to maybe who they might be and and information, but where I want to kind of focus real just for a moment, is Menean and Herod the Tetrarch. Menean means foster brother. That's what it means. It's a foster brother. This was a name that was given to someone who was of the same age and considered a brother to the royal prince, and in this case, to Herod. So it's not just a best friend, but like as close as a brother kind of friend. And then you have Herod the Tetrarch, and Herod the Tetrarch is the one who actually beheaded John the Baptist. And so here's the picture we have. Menean, a leader in the church of Antioch, and Herod, the one who beheads John the Baptist. These two grew up together 
and both of them have different trajectories in how they end up. And so what we're seeing here is that the Lord is capable of saving anyone, regardless of where they come from. And he is also capable of using that person for the purposes of leading the church and for the purposes of sending out. So church, recognize first this. God has saved you. He has saved you. There is no sinner out there who can out the grace of God. It doesn't matter if you're best friends with someone like Herod the Tetrarch or if you're best friends with the sweet old lady who, who makes apple pie for everybody on the block. We are all sinners saved by grace, and that reality should prompt us to action. Prompt us to action. So being ascending church then, what is your role? Asking you specifically, what is your role as a sender in the church? Manian found his role. He found his role within the church. He was raised up to be a leader. But what about you? Are you a teacher? Are you a preacher? Are you a servant, an administrator, an evangelist, a deacon, an intercessor? And I understand that not everyone is chosen to go across the world, but we all have a part to play in the process of sending folks out. We all have a responsibility. And so what is the Lord convicting you to do? Because I guarantee you, he is not calling you to sit on your hands. Are you doing it? Or are you sitting on your hands? And what step might you need to take to start fulfilling that role? How about this? Do you think you're disqualified or maybe underqualified for the purpose of God's mission? I mean, it could be possible that Manian might be like, man, I've done some terrible things. Or even Saul, the apostle, right? I have done some awful things. I am not worthy to be doing these things. We could have similar thoughts considering our own backgrounds, our own stories, the mess that we've been through. We can go, man, I am not qualified for this. And so it's easy to fall into one or two ditches. Either, either you think you're too far gone or you're just not good enough. There's not a lot of information here of all these folks listed, but one thing we can gather is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they were actively a part of a church in fulfilling the Great Commission. Nobody was left out. There's no indication here of the folks who are in leadership, of them questioning anyone, questioning themselves, questioning their past, questioning their motives. They all had a clear understanding. Jesus saves sinners and the Spirit has the power to help people do the work. And honestly, we are all disqualified until Jesus qualifies us to do the work. So, Are you thinking that you're in a ditch and you cannot contribute to the work? And if so, I want to say this. You're believing a lie about yourself. And that lie says the power is up to you and what you can do or what you can't do. But the truth is the power of the Holy Spirit is inside you, fueling you to do the work that Christ has called you to do. So I want to say this to everyone in the room, because sometimes people come into a church and they think they have nothing to contribute. You have something to bring to the table. You have value. You have worth in the kingdom of God. It would be arrogant and foolish and egotistical of me to say that, no, you really aren't that good. I'll handle it for you. No, we are the body of Christ. There are legs and arms and hands within this room, metaphorically speaking, And so who are you? What are you? What is your role within the kingdom? And so this is a call to all of us who are in the room, and those of you on Facebook, this is a call. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter who you are and what you've done or what you've never done. If you're a child of God with the Holy Spirit living inside you, you have a responsibility to be active part of the mission of God in Redeemer Church. Okay, all right, I'm convinced. 
So where do we start? Let's start with worship. Let's start with worship. Ascending church worships and seeks the Lord. We see this in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So here we have the leaders of the church. They have a worshipful response to the gospel. Jesus is to be adored above all. This is the object, this is the aim of their worship. They're not trying to manipulate Jesus into anything. They're not trying to guilt him into anything. They're not trying to do anything with any sort of ulterior motive. They just simply, out of pure adoration and worship, focusing on the Lord. And they were worshiping and they were fasting. And this would lead them to ultimately being sensitive or being aware to the Spirit's lead. And so by worshiping and fasting, they're sensitive to the lead. And then by being sensitive to the lead of the Spirit, they would then be ready and willing to do whatever the Lord would set them out to do. Our going as a church, our sending as a church, is not a knee-jerk reaction or response in saying, well, if no one else is going to do it, then I'll just go. Our going must come from an overflowing worship and response to the Lord. That's where it comes from. If you're not captured by God, if you're not in love with Him, if you're not in His Word, His presence, then you will not last a second as you go. Maybe for a second, maybe for a few weeks or months, maybe a year or so, but eventually the world is going to chew you up and spit you out. Do you worship Him? Are you hungry for God? If you're not in God's word, if you're not in prayer, if you're not hungering for him, if you're not doing these things, then you will have the hardest time responding to God. God's call is wrapped up ultimately in your relationship to him. He calls you from his word. He calls you by his spirit. He calls you with the promise to be with you and he confirms it with the church. So spiritual vitality, spiritual disciplines is the, uh, the first competency that we ultimately look for in folks that we want to send out. Because here's the thing, if you don't seek the Lord now, nothing is going to change when you cross the border. How will you be able to hear the Spirit or the Word of God if you just simply don't stop and listen? How will you be willing To go if the major influences of your soul are found not in God's Word, His Spirit, but in Netflix and Facebook or in your job. And some people do go, and they go without first worshiping the Lord or seeking Him. They go not out of a sensing of the Spirit by human impulse. And so maybe I'll just jump on a soapbox for a moment. I'm tired of seeing missionaries or church planters go because they have a chip on their shoulder or they think they have a better way of doing church than that lame traditional church that they came out of. I'm tired of people saying that God has called them to go and do these things when in, really, in reality, God is not behind them at all. They go, they plant churches, but then their churches die. They go and do missions, but their marriages then fall apart, and they end up doing more damage than good to the lost community. The lost don't realize it, but they become really a means to an end for personal gain. The mission of God ultimately then becomes a platform for disgruntled believers to flex their egos. We cannot be a sending church that tries to go out of pride or ego. We must be ascending church because the Lord is telling us to be ascending church and we deeply love Him. So we must listen for Him and then we must respond to Him. Our world doesn't need any more unqualified, disgruntled, I can do it better than you, missionaries or church planters. The world needs to see and to know God. The world needs men and women who are being sent out because they are overflowing with joy of the gospel. They are overflowing with His word, with His presence, with His calling. The world needs men and women who long for Jesus, long for His name to go among the nations. 
the church of Antioch fasted. Meaning, they withheld eating in order to focus their worship and prayer on God for a time. Fasting is mainly food, but what might you need to give up so that you can give God your undivided attention? What is distracting you from being a part of our sending church? What is distracting you from hearing the call to go? If God were to talk to you right now and try to communicate to you, would he have to show up to you on your TV, on your computer, on your phone to get your attention? Or would he be clearly heard and seen in his word? What do we need to give up in order to hear the Lord? We need to hear him, church. And when he speaks, what will you do? And I'll tell you what ascending church is to do. Ascending church is to obey the call to go. And then the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who is called Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The church sent out their best. They sent out their best, not holding anything back. They sent out Saul, who is the Apostle Paul. They sent out Barnabas. Barnabas meaning son of encouragement. He was considered an apostle in the sense of lowercase a apostle. And he regarded Paul as the uppercase a apostle. You see that in Acts 9.27. Barnabas defending Paul's apostolic ministry. Barnabas was a cousin to John Mark who would then go with them on a mission journey. Barnabas was an evangelist. He was also a uh, pivotal person in taking the gospel to the Gentiles alongside Paul. And there is a unique story where later on Paul and Barnabas would part ways and they would do so on an agree to disagree situation regarding John Mark. But regardless, the Spirit is calling the two top dogs of the church, if you will, to go out, to go out. The church doesn't hesitate. There's no dialogue. There's no question. There's no Q&A here. They, they finish their prayer. They finish their fasting. Then immediately commission the two of them out without question, without concern of going, okay, what's going to happen here? If you go, then you understand we're going we're to struggle. No, none of that conversation was happening. And so the church then laid hands on them and commissioned them out. And let me make something clear here. When the church does this, it's not as though the church was commissioning them or giving them authority, more authority than had already been given to them, especially since Paul was commissioned directly by Jesus. This is a picture of the apostles submitting their commissioning to the authority of Jesus through the church. The apostles, though they're the the two best here, they're not saying, hey, you know what? You don't need to do this, church. You don't need to lay hands on us. Jesus already did it. We got it. We'll see you later. No, they submitted themselves to the church. And so the church then lays their hands on them. And their prayer over them in this commissioning was really a, as you go, we go. As you go, we go. And so the church would send Paul and Barnabas off as one of their own. And so there's this oneness attitude between the sending church and the one who's being sent. And it'll be the church that these apostles are held accountable to and report to back uh, when you jump up to Acts chapter 14, 26 and 27. Are we ready and willing to send out our best? Who are the best among us at Redeemer? Who would we determine as the best? And whoever it is that we determine as our best, what would you do or how would you respond if God called them to go? Would you quit coming to Redeemer? Would you think Redeemer is going to just fall apart and crumble to pieces? Let's not be a church that A, hoards toilet paper, or B, hoards our people, right? Let's not hold on to our people. 
Some churches have become fierce in recruiting and, and keeping their best around. And I understand why they do it, and there's some legitimacy to that, but we have to be clear Redeemer can be spread and shared among the world. Let's share it with the world. We're not in this so that Redeemer Church would be known per se, but that the gospel would be known. The Spirit is calling us to go. Are you willing to go? Are we willing to obey the call? Are you willing to allow the church to come alongside you and make it a family endeavor? And so look, relationships are important when it comes to sending. We want to be as relationally involved as possible with everybody we send out. We want to know you. We want to care for you. We want to support you. We want to be an extension of the church for you as you go. This is why we have created advocacy teams. We want to send you out and we want to hear your reports when you return. We want to receive you when you come back so that we can just care for you and love on you. We want to resource you. We want to equip you. We want to train you and then send you out again. We want to have a a oneness attitude with those that we send out. And will we do it perfectly? No. But it is our aim. It is our desire. We do We don't want any of you to really just kind of slip out and do your own thing. That's been a tendency in the church for some time, is that I've got this individual call, this individual thing, and then all of a sudden we blindside everybody and we just head out. We want to be unified. We want to be unified in what the Lord is calling us to do or calling you to do. Whatever you do, whether you go across the globe or across the street, we want to be unified lockstep with you. And sending out does not always mean that you're the one being sent away from the church, as I mentioned. Sending out has a critical component, prayer and fasting. They didn't give that up. You see that. They were worshiping and praying to the Lord, and the Spirit respond, or calls out Paul and Barnabas, and they finish their prayer and their fasting. It's important. So for some of you, the most important thing you can do is commit your time and energy to praying and fasting for our church to go. That's critical. For some of you, your critical role in the mission of God is really to just stay here at Redeemer and be a part of the process of sending others out. Don't use it as an excuse to not go. That's sin. But some of you need to stay so that we can send out. Not everybody in the church of Antioch went where Paul and Barnabas went. Your prayers, your encouragement, your steadfastness in the word is what our people need as we continue to send more people out. We're gearing up to send folks out this year. And maybe you're, you're the voice in the community group that is not saying, well, I need to go, but maybe you're the one looking across the room at someone else and you say really kind of with that prophetic voice, it's clear through God's word that the Lord is calling you to go Please do not delay any longer. We need those voices in our church. And so what role do you need to play in the grand scheme of growing in our sending? And so the church does this in the beginning part of verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. It was the Holy Spirit through the church who sent these two out. Do you notice that? The church is gearing up and commissioning. They're the ones doing the laying on the hands. But the author here, Luke, is saying that it was the Spirit who sent them out. So what do we make of that? Let's be aware that we are at the mercy of the Holy Spirit in our sending. Not our own power, not our own strength, not our own strategies. The Lord, we must understand, the Lord is more aware and more passionate about his gospel getting out to this community and the nations than you and I could ever be in a thousand thousand lifetimes over. The Spirit is the one acting and moving. God has a plan for his kingdom to go forth, for the gospel to spread, for churches to be planted. And so the Spirit acting should humble us. 
The Spirit acting through the church should humble us. It should not puff us up. It should not make us proud or arrogant. It is a humbling thing to know that God is using us, sinners saved by grace, to accomplish His perfect will. It is an act of grace to be used for God's purposes of saving His people. And so a sending church will never be conceited or full of themselves. Hey, look at what we did. Look at us. We're something, aren't we? How could we ever be so conceited or so puffed up if it is the Spirit who is doing the work? Let us not rob God of His due glory and of His due work. And so as the Lord grows us in our sending and mobilizing more folks to do the work, we must remain humble and be aware that it is the Lord who receives the glory and not us. And I'm not saying that we become cheesy and over-spiritualize everything that we say and do, but that we have proper perspective as to who it is that is at work through us. Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas here, they went Those two words, they went. They did not sit around. They did not wait. They did not hold off until they felt more comfortable. The Spirit made it clear. The church commissioned them, and off they went. Some of you have responded to the call to go. You've already done that. You're on your way, if you will. You're in the midst of doing it. Some of you have been postponing or delaying in the call to go. Maybe out of fear or anxiety or worry. The call to go could be your next door neighbor. It is your next door neighbor. A buddy at school, a coworker, or maybe someone in South America. Who knows? But are you delaying or are you responding? Which two words would define you and your response to call to God's call to go? Would it be I went? Or I stayed? What defines you? I went or I stayed? Could you imagine if Jesus stayed? Could you imagine if the Father never sent Jesus down to us? Could you imagine what life would be like if he never came? What sort of hope would we have to share, especially in our our current worldwide crisis with the coronavirus? It's said in the news that in China, they are honing in on patient zero. They're finding the source of it all, that one person that it started with. You know, there's a disease in the heart, and it's called sin and death. And thanks to God's word, we know who patient zero is. They are Adam and their Eve in the Garden of Eden. The coronavirus has a patient zero, but as it spreads, it makes new carriers of the virus, and those carriers become just as responsible for either spreading or containing the disease just as much as patient zero. So through China's patient zero, we all become patient zero. Sin has a patient zero. But the problem is, we all carry the disease. We cannot sit around and blame Adam and Eve for the problem of sin and death. Their problem of sin has become our problem of sin, so now we are all therefore carriers of the disease called sin and death. The mortality rate of sin and death is 100%. 10 out of 10 people will die. Lifespans may vary from person to person or generation to generation, but regardless of how many years you live, you will eventually die. We cannot help but spread the virus of sin and death. We cannot contain it. We have no way of resolving that sort of problem. But there is a cure. There is a cure. There's a healthcare provider called the gospel, and the gospel provides us access to the great physician known as the healer of our souls, that is, Jesus Christ. And so thanks be to God for calling His Son, for commissioning Him to go. Thanks be to God for sending His Son to come to us so that we might not have to die for our sins. 
Thanks be to God for Jesus obeying the call to be sent out. Thanks be to God that Jesus did not undermine the Father's will, but followed through in humble obedience. Thanks be to God for Jesus enduring the shame of the cross for our sake. Thanks be to God for Jesus spilling his blood on Calvary, making a perfect payment for our sin. Thanks be to God for Jesus exchanging his glory for our sin and our shame. Thanks be to God for Jesus enduring the wrath of the Father in our place. Thanks to God for Jesus defeating sin and death by rising from the grave. And thanks be to God that at his right hand, Jesus reigns victoriously forevermore. Thanks be to God that the one who was sent out, who left the heavenly realms for our sake, has now become the sender, the commissioner, and helper of his church to the world. You and I are the church. You and I are called by God to send and to go. God is saying, get up, let's go. And so this is my plan for you is what God's saying. I will show you, my child, how my glory goes throughout the earth. I will show you how you will be the mouthpiece of God to a people who do not yet know my name. Go, my child, and tell them what great things I have done for your sake. Tell them that they too might become sons and daughters of the living God by faith in Jesus, my son. The seed of God's word has been planted in your heart at least these last seven years, Redeemer. Over the years, our church has watered and cared for the seed planted in your heart. And for the last several years, we have watched that seed begin to really grow and mature. And the Lord has grown you. He continues to grow you. And today he calls you then to active participation as ascending church. So take courage. Be brave. Obey the call to go. He has saved you by his grace. He is worthy of all worship. He is worthy to be obeyed. So in the name of the Father, by faith in the Son and the power of the Spirit, we commission you, Redeemer, to go and share the good news to a lost and dying world.